We are working our way through 2 Thessalonians together. Pastor Rick gave a great sermon last week. He admitted, you know, it was kind of heavy though, right? You know, talking to him, spent a whole week preaching on hell. So if that felt heavy to you and you're coming in this morning like, man, I really hope this sermon, you know, isn't like about the Antichrist or something. I'm sorry, it is. I don't pick the order. I don't know what to do. You know, that just, it's, we, we go in order. So uh, for those of you who are excited, like, sweet, the Antichrist, there's counselors I can introduce you to. You have, you know, some of the pistons aren't firing right. I'd love for you to meet a nice counselor. But that's the beauty of God's word. Right? You don't just feed your kids what they want. You know, you give your kids vegetables, whether it doesn't necessarily taste good to them or not. And that's the diet of God's word. God says, this is healthy. You need this. And so we're going to partake of his word this morning and look at the Antichrist. All right? So we're in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. If you're following along, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. If not, as always, it'll be on the screen. I can read it. Please follow along as I read. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the man of the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may, be, so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Are you ready? Happy Valentine's Day. Here we go. Do you see what's going on in the church? I kind of wrap our head around this situation. You know, Paul, the spiritual father of this young body of believers, moves on and he gets word of some of the false teachings that they're believing. A lot of those revolve around the end times. And that's the lie that they were believing, right? That Jesus has already returned. And that they missed it. What was wrong? You know, that was what the false teachers were saying. Jesus has returned already. And Paul simply goes through a quick proof to help them understand there's no way that Jesus has returned already because two things need to happen first. He lays that out in verse 3. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. 
So in some ways, we're kind of in the end times. You know, Jesus kind of started them. But then at the very end, before Jesus comes back, this is what's going to happen. It says there'll be a great rebellion led by this man of lawlessness, in other words, other places referred to as the Antichrist. You get into end times, right? And these crazy things, and you know, you think of all the different movies that have come about, you know, we think of just like angels and demons just like, sh- you know, firing arrows at each other. I mean, I don't know exactly what it is going to be like, but it may not be as otherworldly as that. It may be very worldly in the sense that there are wars, and this is a dictator that comes, and that word rebellion is where we get our word for apostatize. Have you ever heard that? Maybe, oh, they're apostate. We don't use that in our life very often, but basically it's just the word for they have fallen away from the faith. Again, we think how crazy what this is going to be, but it doesn't tell us all that much detail, but it does let us know that this guy, this man of lawlessness is going to show up and deceive a bunch of people. So at the very end, again, this has been happening throughout all time, but at the end, before Jesus comes, there's going to be swaths, hordes of people walking away from the faith, leaving the church to unparalleled degrees. And I would say, and I think Scripture would say this, not necessarily true believers, but all many nominal believers are going to walk away from the faith led by this guy. It's kind of big figure that a lot of people have speculated about. So what is he? And he lays it out. Okay, so you know who this guy is. He talks about who he is. This man of lawlessness, one, we know it's a man. So all the ladies in the room go, it would be a man, right? You know, right, ladies? Come on. That's right. Part of the reason I say that, it is a man, but some of it even in my mind, I almost picture the Antichrist as Satan. This isn't like Sodom Numsi. And if you didn't get that reference, don't feel bad. That's old school Eddie Murphy, golden child. Don't feel bad about that. We'll move on. But if you've seen the movie... Like, he, there's this guy, Sodom Nunsen, he just busts out of his skin, and he's really a demon, and he has these wings. That's not the picture here. Picture in this is a man, and I don't know if he's a political figure, a religious leader, but he is a man who essentially, of lawlessness, he rises above the law. No law of this earth applies to him. He is above all that, and it starts to get more interesting. This is out of Daniel 11, Matthew 24. They all talk about... This characteristic, he opposes God or any object of worship. So he despises all other religions and exalts himself above all other religions and all other God. And essentially, right, that big one proclaims himself to be God. He takes his seat in the temple of God. That's the seat where God sits. So this guy comes in and claims to be God and... Notice this is empowered by the activity of Satan. So it says he's going to perform miraculous deeds. He's going to do all these signs and wonders by the power of Satan. All right, here we go. I want to talk about this a little bit. One, I find it very interesting that so much when we talk about end times and trying to figure out when he's coming back and figure out who this is going to be, it always creates this panic that we don't want to miss it. And what if that was the big thing? Did they miss the rapture? What if it happens and we don't and we miss it? You're not going to miss this guy. 
So part of what he's saying is calm down. Stop worrying that you're going to miss it. That was their big fear. You're not going to miss this guy. But here's the interesting thing. It tells us enough to recognize this guy, but not predict who this guy is. For sure, Scripture already says you're not going to know the time. But what do we do? How many different sects have tried to diagnose and they've read the tea leaves and counted this in the Bible and they picked and know when Jesus is, whenever you know, Jesus is going to come and the Antichrist is going to come before him. Jesus himself said, I don't know what that, when that's going to happen. If you think you've figured it out when Jesus couldn't, we don't got some problems, okay? Stop trying to guess the time. Jesus himself said, you're not going to know the time. And can we stop just trying to guess who this is going to be? Like all throughout time, do you know how many people they've guessed this? I mean, you think of how many people fall short of this. I mean, in, there were emperors, there were rulers that claimed divinity already, that claimed to be God, that ransacked the temple, and those guys weren't it. I mean, Martin Luther said it was the Pope. The Pope said it was Martin Luther. Everybody thought it was Hitler, Right? And those guys all fell short. Can we stop with the guessing? That's the list. The main, like, criteria I have observed is basically the president that I didn't vote for. Gotta be the Antichrist, right? I mean, I'm serious. Every single president that I can remember, like, I don't know. Seems kind of lawless. And we try to guess, oh, maybe it's that president. I don't think... God gives us this so we can try to guess who this guy is going to be. That's who he is. Until that person proclaims to be God and starts performing miracles, then we could start saying, oh, that might be him. So that's kind of our choice, right? So that's what he kind of lays out. Jesus hasn't returned because this hasn't happened yet. You're not going to miss that. So... Our choice is we can spend the rest of the time trying to guess who this guy is and try to guess maybe what political party he's going to be a part of. Or we could acknowledge, yeah, at the end times, there's going to be a great falling away from Christ led by the deception of Satan. And also acknowledge that every day up until that moment, Satan is doing the same thing, trying to deceive people to fall away from Christ. I think you can see where we're going. Let's try to guess, all right? Of course we're not going to do that, right? Like, let's acknowledge, okay, we'll recognize this guy. It doesn't tell us enough to be able to predict, but to recognize. But I don't know if you caught it in the midst of this passage. There's something else you've got to realize. Because I don't think God gives us just for the people in that day. So for the off chance that yes, this guy hasn't shown up in the last 2,000 years, the off chance he doesn't show up in the next 20, I still think there's some things we can glean from this. And listen what it says right in the middle of this passage. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. What's going to happen on a grand scale then is happening every day. The same tactics that the enemy is going to use then is already happening in our midst right now. Listen what John, how he said it. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. What you have heard, heard was coming. The Antichrist is coming, but he also adds, and now is in the world 
That's when you say it. When I do this, that's when you say the word. Let's say it together. Already. So yes, who's the Antichrist? Guess what? There are many Antichrists, and the spirit of the Antichrist is already happening and moving in our world today. So instead of just kind of thinking about, ooh, what's it going to be like, and the moon goes, we can realize this is happening today. And what is the main issue here? Is it just they misunderstood this one doctrine? I think there's something deeper going on, a deeper problem beneath that. As I unpacked this passage, kind of, yes, he corrects, understand this one doctrine. But the main shards that I see in the middle of it was this, let no one deceive you in any way. Yes, they missed this one doctrine, but Paul, I mean, he's almost fresher rebuking, but why would you allow yourself to be deceived from the truth? He said, I already told you this. You know this. How could you fall away from the truth? The real issue, I think, isn't just about who is the Antichrist and when it's coming. This is a battle between truth and lies. So you think of if you're a parent, when you catch catch your kid about to do something dangerous, right? Like you say, you go in the kitchen and your little toddler figured out that child lock that most adults can't figure out, but somehow their tiny little ninja hands got in there, right? And then you come in, and your kid, your little toddler's holding a knife. And it's like you freeze. Okay, don't overreact, sweetie. Put down the knife, right? And then that moment, you tell them, okay, stop, just drop it. And then your heart breaks, because what do they do? They just take off and run with it. And then it's like game on. You're like ticking tables, like trying to get that knife out of their hands, right? When you catch them, you have two issues to deal with, not just one. You got to explain to them the dangers of knives, right? But I think there's a deeper issue. Because you're going to do that. Sweetie, you got to understand this knife's going to hurt you. But as a parent, you're going to go to, why didn't you listen when I told you to drop it? Look, yeah, you need to understand this one problem. But there will be multiple problems come out. There's going to be multiple dangers coming your way. You need to recognize my voice. Like, you got to know truth. And that's the real battle. We love to think of the battle of Armageddon, what that's going to be like. And we're going to talk about that more. The battle isn't just between Christ and the Antichrist. The battle is for your heart, whether you're going to be deceived or believe truth. That was riddled through this passage. Nine times you see it come up. Why are you shaken in mind? Don't let somebody deceive you. Remember what I told you. Remember the truth. There's going to be false signs to deceive you. Many people refuse the truth. Some were delusional. They believed what is false. They didn't believe the truth. So yeah, you need to understand, okay, at the end of time, there will be this figure. He's going to lead people astray. We can recognize him. But you need to recognize all throughout your life, Satan is going to be coming at you to deceive you, to get you to walk away from Christ. That's where this really got interesting for me as I was tearing this apart and looking at protecting ourselves from the lies of the enemy. I heard this phrase, and it was so good, and it really stuck with me. Another guy was saying this. Another pastor said, what God creates, Satan counterfeits. 
What God creates, Satan counterfeits. It got me thinking about this idea of a counterfeit. John 8, talking about our enemy, talking about the devil, says he is a liar. He's the father of lies. At his very core, and that's what you see all throughout this, he's a deceiver and a liar. So I want to just stop and think a minute about counterfeits and lies. What is a counterfeit? It is something that is false that you're getting someone to believe is the real thing. When you lie to somebody, you're not trying to get them to believe the lie. You're trying to get them to believe it's the truth. That's the nature of deception. It's more sneaky than that. And I think that's a lot of ways we got to understand how the enemy is going to attack and delude us. Look, I've known a lot of people that have walked in sin. You ever known somebody? Raise your hand, right? We've all seen somebody who's walked in sin. You know what? I've seen people walk down bad roads. I've talked through it with them. You know what I've never had somebody to say? Hey, you know, I'll ask them, why did you walk down that road? Because I love the devil. Because I'm a son of destruction, right? Have you ever heard somebody say that? Don't go down that road. Why are you going down that road? Because I'm wicked. Does that mean no one's ever done wickedness? No. We have a lot of people thinking they're living a good life, walking in wickedness. And that's the deception of the devil, right? He's trying to get you to believe he's God. As you look at this Christ and Antichrist, He's not trying to get you to follow Satan. He's trying to convince you that you're following God when you're not. Just because you think, no, I prayed about it, and, you know, God, I, God told me to go in this direction. That's the deception, right? That's the key. He gets you to think you're honoring him when you're not. What God creates, Satan counterfeits. That's his ploy. I mean, you look at these things. They're mirrored. The Christ and the Antichrist. They're both revealed. They both have a coming. They both have signs and wonders. You see that they're false signs. They're counterfeit signs trying to get you to believe that this is God when it isn't. And that's what you've got to understand and protect ourselves against. I don't think anybody, I would be surprised if anybody out here is in danger of tomorrow just, you know, worshiping Satan. That's not how he's going to come at you. He's not going to come out and poke you like, come follow me. If you do, I'll give you one of these red pitchforks. (laughs) What he's going to do is convince you that you live in your life however you want. God's okay with that. See, here's the fascinating thing, right? Satan's okay if God is a part of your life. He just wants you to make sure God's off the throne of your life. Just as good. He doesn't need you to despise God's word. He just needs to redirect you off of it a little bit. And that is much more how it's going to come to be. I thought this was fascinating. I think in my mind I had the Antichrist pegged as Satan himself, and it's clear in the scriptures it isn't. One of the ways we know that Jesus is God, one of the ways we know that is Jesus received worship. Very clear in scripture. No one is worthy of worship but God. So when Jesus receives worship as God, clear sign of his divinity. In my mind, I think I'd imagine this great battle between good and evil. Satan doesn't want you to worship Jesus. 
He wants you to worship him. That's fascinating. The Antichrist is receiving worship, and Satan's totally okay with others receiving worship. It doesn't need to be about him. It's fascinating. But most of us aren't in danger of worshiping him. So the enemy doesn't care. Satan doesn't care if you worship him as long as you don't worship him. And that's where we got to understand the deceptive nature. And here's what's going to look like. I want to look at this kind of list because I think you see a lot of these elements in this passage. He doesn't try to get you to despise truth, but he wants to pervert it. So that you're deceived to think you're following truth. First, you see on that, he's going to add other sources to truth. That's exactly what happens to the Thessalonians, right? He tells them that, why don't you believe this? Because they, someone came to them with a revelation, a spoken word, a forged letter from them. See, the enemy, look, doesn't need you to hate this. He just needs you to put a couple things on par with it. You can still value God's word as long as you have other sources of truth in your life that can compete with it. Isn't that exactly what happened? They got another letter that was competing with what Paul wrote to them, the Bible. You can have this in your life. He's just going to try to knock it down and make you doubt it. Come on, is that really God's word? That archaic book that really still applies to your life? Come on, that's nice. It's nice for, you know, devotions. We can learn some things about love. But it's not really the word of God. That's how it's going to come at you. That doesn't still apply to you. I mean, it's just another book like all the other good holy books, right? You can still care about it. And that's when we're primed for deception. I thought something else was interesting. There's not enough truth. So not only is he going to make you question this, he's going to make you question what isn't in there. What God doesn't tell you. I thought this was fascinating. So Paul was telling them about, hey, I already told you this. And then he goes on to say, don't you remember when I was with you, I told you these things? You know what is restraining the man of lawlessness. But do you notice he doesn't clue us in on it? So he tells them, hey, you guys know who this guy is and doesn't tell us. So part of me is like, Paul. For the rest of human history that wasn't at that conversation, you maybe could have wrote that down so we know. That was one of Satan's original temptations, right? The knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve. Not only what God told you, but why wouldn't he tell you more about the knowledge of good and evil? So many people have all these why questions. God, why do you not allow... You know, why have you allowed this evil to come? Why did you allow this person to die? And Satan comes in there, see? He didn't tell you. He doesn't really love you. That shows he's against you. What this plainly teaches, because the funny thing is, God left that in there. God left that in there so we know that there's people that, are, that know the answer to this, but we don't. The lesson I take is, if we needed to know, he would have told us. God doesn't tell us everything, and it's not because he's trying to hold back from us. He gives us what we need. But then when we don't have enough, that's when Satan comes and twists that knife. Well, that doesn't explain this. Or why would this person die? Or why would God allow this? And you don't have the answers to the why questions. And that's when the deceit starts. Obviously twisting the meaning of truth again. Satan quotes scripture. He doesn't mind if this is in your life as long as you're open to him twisting it. 
part of what they probably believed is not only did they miss Jesus coming back or that it was just spiritual. It was just a spiritual return. You see that difference? Again, that just little twisting of the truth. That is so huge today. Oh, that's nice, but it's not literal. It doesn't really mean that. It's just kind of a spiritual resurrection. It's crazy. We have, you know, we have science now that shows this doesn't all hold up. But I believe in a spiritual resurrection. Again, you could have the word of God in your life, and he's just going to try to twist it. Even if you hold to what is true, I think the enemy can question God's heart behind that truth, right? God is love, but we just talked about last time. There is hell. There is condemnation. You ever have that whisper? How can a God of love send somebody to hell? God can't really be loving. Those are the lies that the enemy is going to throw at us as he's going to try to pervert the truth and crack open that door. You see all these in this passage, right? You go away to college and, you know, you still kind of know the Bible, but you have this philosopher now or this philosophy that you can hold to. He's going to get you to question this and question who wrote that. You think of the big one. So I want to even talk a little bit of how it can happen in our lives. Kind of that main problem to wrap our heads around of still trusting of God is the big problem of evil, right? How can God be all-loving, all-knowing, and you still went through all the horrible stuff that you have gone through and are going through? And he's going to get you again. You can still hold to God, but he just wants to knock him off the throne of your life. You see some of the truth plainly taught in this passage about evil? It is restrained. God allows it for a purpose, and it will ultimately end. And I think Satan tries to attack all of those. See, it talked about that picture, right? So it said the doctrine of restraint. That's the guy. We don't know who it is. My best guess is I think it's an angel, right? There's evil running through this world, but yet it's still this picture of this angel holding back, saying enough, too far. See, Satan still has to draw within the lines. He doesn't just have, can run free rickshaw across your life. Do you understand that that is true? Like Job In the story of Job where Satan and God allows him, he says, look, you can, but you can't go outside these bounds. Now, I wish I could draw the bounds. I don't necessarily like what the boundaries are, but understand there are boundaries in your life because God is restraining the amount of evil and destruction he will allow. That's true. Satan will get you to doubt that. And to doubt. God's love for you, it wasn't, it's purposeless. If God really loved you, he wouldn't allow that to happen. One of the oldest lies. But what do we see in this passage? Yes, God restrains evil, but where does it end? He says, so that, in order that, these are purpose clauses. God says, look, I'm not going to let it go too far in your life. But this needs to happen. I have a greater purpose in allowing this evil to run. It is necessary for his kingdom. Do you believe that to be true? Or is that whisper, that lie of Satan implanted in your soul that there's no point, the reason there's evil in your life is God doesn't love you. 
You see the ultimate defeat of evil as well, but how tempted it is. And this is what they, they were afraid of. Did God forget them? They're living this rough life. God already showed up and forgot about them. Listen to me. There's not this equal battle between God and Satan that we don't know who is going to win. God is utterly sovereign over evil. It only goes as far as his purposes deem necessary and as far as he will allow when he allows it. Did you see the beautiful picture of God's ultimate defeat of evil? It says Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing. He will bring him to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Evil feels like it's running our lives. It's no match for the power of God. I remember reading in Revelation 19, the battle of Armageddon to understand, oh, what is it about? Do you understand there's no battle? Like Revelation 19 sets up Satan and all his army and Jesus and all his army and you think this is gonna be it. And the next line is, Jesus captured him and threw him into lake of fire. It was over. Did you see that picture there? This big battle. And you think it's going to be like Rocky Four, right? You know, this slugfest. Who's going to win, God or evil? So you see that the match sets up. The man of lawlessness. Jesus steps into the ring and destroys him with his breath. Evil doesn't have control over your life. God's allowing it for a purpose only to a certain degree and he hasn't forgot you. He is going to come for you and end all of this. So what do we do with that? Yes, we need to know truth and believe truth. But I think there's something deeper and more important because one of the greatest lies that Satan can get you to believe is God doesn't love you. Because the second he can get you to believe that he doesn't love you, you'll, he, you will question your love for him. Listen to the issue that led to them not being saved. We'll play a little fill in the blank. Because they refuse to blank the truth and be saved. What do you think goes in there? Once he said no, believe, we're talking about truth, it's up here, right? No, what he said was, it wasn't up here, it was here. See, I can't control the lies that can come your way. But what you can control is do you love him and is he on the throne of your life? He says, what is the issue at the end? What did it reveal? They had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, Satan's going to deceive you to just allow you to pursue that pleasure. Here's what you can control. You can't control all the lies that are going to come your way. But you can control, do you love God above all else? Is he the most important thing in your life? And here's the scary part. The second, again, you can still care about God, but the second you value something above God, the second anything competes for that throne, that may be a person, a relationship, it could be sex, it could be money, it could be whatever it is, the second something becomes more important to you than God, you are primed to be deceived. Because once you want that in your heart, it's just a matter you'll justify it in your mind. Oh, I'm not really hurting anybody else. It's just me. Oh, surely God wants me to be happy, right? Because I've already decided I want this. 
And then I, I won't just say I'm going to go after because I hate God. I'll just make myself believe, oh, surely God wants this for me as well. So the thing that you can control is valuing and loving God above all else and loving his truth in no lie can reach you in that place. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you. And in some ways just tired. There are so many lies that come at us. We're worthless, that you've forgotten about us, that you don't care about us. But ultimately, the enemy would love us to believe you don't love us. That you have forgotten about us. And as soon as we can believe that, we can doubt our love for you. So right now, Father, would you not allow anything to take that place on the throne of our lives? We realize that you are the most important thing in our life. You are the truth and everything else is a lie. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.